pack. <laughs> Just like Pastor Nicole gets a little bit more southern when she talks, I think I do. I feel like it's osmosis, um, like it just rubs off. But if it happens, I'm from the north originally, but it's Jesus just translating me back into the south where I needed to be. <laughs> Before I get started, I just wanted to thank Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole for allowing me the privilege of speaking. Um, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, any good thing that comes out of my mouth today is from the Lord and is also from pastors. They have been phenomenal shepherds, continue to be, and where I am today is a direct product of the seeds that they've sown in my life. And so, though she ran out of the room, it's probably because, you know, I'm putting spotlight on her, but I didn't make her stand with me, so I feel like that's love too. <laughs> but truly, thank you, Pastor, for allowing this. Secondly, for those of you in the front row, fair warning, um, I didn't think through my shoe choice today. And as I was worshiping and my shoes almost flew off ahead of time, if it happens, I love y'all, I'll pray, healing will happen, it'll be great. Mr. Chris, if I hit you in the face with my shoe, don't feel bad. I hit Oliver in the face already with my shoe, and he's good, like, he's great, and he's like three, so we're good to go. <laughs> oh my gracious, Jesus is fun. Now, there are some of you that know me a little bit better than others. Um, for those of you who don't really know me well yet, my background is lots of different things. I'm from Maine originally. The Lord called me down to Boomerang to be a part of Boomerang. So I moved in obedience to God completely at his word. He told me to go. I got really stubborn and said, eh, for about a year. And then he told me it again. And I came and then I worked at Enterprise. I also worked as a kindergarten teacher for a little bit. So I'm going to let you know, I'm a call and response sort of person. I like interaction. If you're quiet, like I did with my five-year-olds, I'll probably just look at you and be like, okay, no. <laughs> I won't be that direct about it, but I'm totally good with talking, not like amongst yourselves, but like amening, I'm great with that. Um, so Prilla's here. It's <laughs> No, I do have a question for you, which is why I wanted to start off that way, because I want you to think about this. If you need to close your eyes, I'm good with that. I have a question that the Lord has put on my heart before, and I believe he wants to put it on your heart today, too. If you had one year of your life left to live, what would you do with it? You know, one year. Right now, the Lord is saying, what, I'm not saying the Lord's proclaiming it hypothetically, the Lord says, you have one year left. What do you do? And I know that in some of y'all's minds, it's, well, I'd be quitting my job first and foremost. I got a year left. I'm done there. Bump it. You know, a year left, I'm going to travel. A year left, I'm going to spend it with my family. A year left, I'm going to go and see the world. I'm going to do whatever it is I've wanted to do my whole life. You know, how many of you had some of those thoughts? Maybe kind of those thoughts. This is okay where hands can go up. Aw, four honest people in the room. <laughs> no, it's okay. Like, those are natural thoughts to think. Like, I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time doing what I have enjoyed doing, things that I've put off, things that I've put on the back burner. Those are phenomenal things to think about. And the Lord would challenge you, and he wants you to do those things. But if you had a year left to live, 
How much of that time would you spend for the Lord? How much of that time would you consider what he wants for you? How much of that time would you be so seeking after his will for your life? How much of that time would you be giving to him? Or would it immediately become all about us? And honestly, our flesh would have it to be all about us. If our flesh got to pick what we did. Our flesh would be thinking about leaving that job. Our flesh would be thinking about, well, I want to spend this time with my husband and my babies, and I want to spend this time, you know, with my family that I haven't seen in so long. I want to see the beautiful things that God made. God's given you a family. He's given you a home. He's given you things to enjoy. Absolutely. Those aren't bad. But if you had a year left, where would the Lord fall in your priority? I know. I know. <laughs> because, because honestly, this is a question that we've asked in one of our impact classes before. And in, in the past, my initial reaction has been all of those things. I want to go see things. I want to do things. I want to accomplish things. I want to spend time with my husband. I want to do what the Lord's called me to do. But I want to do what he wants me to do, not what I want to do. That's what we're called to do, is we're called to please him. We're called to be those people. You know, it tells us in uh, 1 Peter 2 that we are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We have been chosen. We've been called. Y'all, I'm just going to read it in uh, 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may declare the goodness of him who has called you from darkness into his marvelous light. Y'all, I don't know if it's a year, I don't know if it's a month, I don't know how long we have, but I know that the countdown has started. The countdown has started for the Lord's return. The countdown's on. We're in the countdown right now. We're in the last moments of the last day before Jesus comes back. And there's a generation of people who have never heard of his goodness, who have never heard that it's available for them to move from darkness into the light that we have been so gloriously chosen to be a part of. And if we have a year left, then we need to spend it for them. We need to be who God's called us to be. We need to be the people that will bless his name, that will be the ministers of reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to tell the world that God bought them and has chosen them to be the people that we are. How much time do we have left? We don't have, it's, it's not limitless. You know, it's so easy to live this life and think, I have nothing but time. George and I will make a joke every now and then. We'll be like, nothing between us, but, you know, time and opportunity. Like, <laughs> we've got nothing but time right now. But the truth is we don't. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know. He tells us that he'll come like a thief in the night. He's coming. That's the reality. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is 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 coming. Are we ready? How is he going to find us? What are we going to be doing when he gets here? 
He's coming. It's not a maybe. It's a definite. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. You know, I was talking to Sharon and Marky earlier this week. You know, we, we use a lot, you know, God the Father. We use a lot, you know, the word Lord. But there are so many different ways that we can describe Jesus and God. And one of these ways that's been sticking out to me, particularly this week, has been the fact that he's the bridegroom. You know, he's the groom. And the church is his bride. We're the bride of Christ. Dudes, I, I know, I know, feeling like a bride. Like, I'm not saying go find a white dress and, like, go skip in the beach. Like, but it's okay. Just like I'm, there's neither male nor female. I'm a son of God. You're the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. But don't be using my bathroom, y'all. Like, just stay in your own bathrooms. <laughs> but just like I'm a son, y'all are a bride. It's, it's just how it's going to work in order for this message to go across. Amen. You're the bride of Christ. Amen. Praise God, we can keep going. <laughs> but how, how much time do we spend thinking about what that really means? You know, a bride. Not now. Pfft, no. <laughs> Brides now get redonkulous with weddings. Like, it's all about, like, spending a hundred bajillion dollars so that you can enjoy the next 80 years in a massive, crazy debt. Like, not, not, not North America brides, but, like, back in Jesus' time, what did it mean? to have a groom and to have a bride. And, you know, I was talking to Sharon about this and realizing that Jesus is a groom and we're his bride. Men, think about when you propose to your wife or to your fiancé or what did you expect from them? You know, when they said yes or, you know, like when George proposed and I'm like, are you serious? That's what I said. <laughs> Um, and then it was yes a couple minutes later, but there was, there was some shock. <laughs> there are some expectations, right? You're expecting your wife to not go sleep around. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> You're expecting her to forsake all others. You've got an expectation that on your wedding day, she's not going to look like a piece of trash. Like, she's going to come in, like, having shampooed her hair and, like, not smelling. And, you know, she's going to look nice. There's just some basic expectations that a groom has. Think of it if you go to buy something at a store. You know, you go to buy a new car. If you go and purchase a new car, brand new, fresh off the lot, 2020 vehicle, and you drive away in this vehicle, do you expect it to break down? No. <laughs> You'd be pulling your behind right back into that parking lot. <laughs> You've got expectations that it's going to be what you bought. Jesus is the groom. So back in ancient Bible times, the way that marriage worked is a groom would go to a bride, and a prospective bride, it wasn't official yet, went to the girl he wanted to marry and her father, and he presented her with a contract. And this contract was basically, this is how I'm going to take care of your daughter. This is financially what I'm going to do for you. This is what you can expect from me. This is how I'm going to care for you. This is what I'm proposing to you. And then the bride had to accept that. It wasn't just her dad. The dad, like, could give a thumbs up, but the bride had to be agreeing. 
It wasn't like slavery. It was she had to agree to it. And when she did, and she signed her name on the actual contract of paper, then at that moment, they became legally married in ancient biblical times. The moment she agreed and put her name on that contract, it's a done deal. You're married. Jesus is the groom. The moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're married. The moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, it's a done deal. The contract has been laid out. We receive from Jesus salvation. We receive from him protection. We receive from him deliverance. We receive from him a hope. We receive prosperity. We will never be in lack. We will only be the head. We will never be the tail. We're blessed to be a blessing. That's what we are called to become the second we put our name on that dotted line. And then he would often bring a type of gift, and they use Jewish words. I can't pronounce them. It would just be a whole lot of <laughs> I can't pronounce them. I'm super sorry. But he brought a gift, and basically it was goods, it was jewelry, it could be money. And though he brought it to the dad, the dad would then give a large portion of it back to the daughter. Oftentimes included in this would be a simple ring, a simple ring that she could wear a reminder of what had just taken place. And then, after he proposed, he would then go away for up to, it could be as little as a year, it could be up to two years, and he would leave. Why? Because he'd go to his father's house, and he'd prepare a place for his bride. He'd go to his father's house, and he would add on a room in his father's house, this beautiful, beautiful room that he built for the two of them to share. He left to prepare a place for her. In my father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. Body of Christ, in the Lord's house are many mansions. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That's what he would do. And in the meantime, while Jesus is building, while the groom is building, the bride was called to prepare herself. The bride was called to get ready. The bride was called to cleanse herself. She was called to sew together the garment that she would wear on her wedding day. The groom's off doing work. And here's a fun kicker with the groom over here. In ancient biblical times, the groom didn't get to choose when he went back. The groom only got to go back when the father said, it's time. He didn't get to go back when he wanted. He went back when the, Lord, when the father said, it's time to go. Just like Jesus can't come back only when he wants. It's when the father says, they're ready, go get them. It's ready, go get them. That's how it works. Jesus is doing his part of the job right now. It's done. He's done what he needs to do. He's waiting on the Lord saying, go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them. And no one knows that time except for the Father. No one knows. Jesus doesn't know. Holy Spirit doesn't know. It's the Lord. The Lord God Almighty knows when it's time. But the bride has some work to do. The bride has a responsibility. The bride would sew her clothes together, she'd get herself ready, she'd get her affairs in order, and she would set a lamp 
on her window at nighttime. She'd tell her friends. She'd tell her family. Her friends and family would then come as well. And then what would happen is the groom, the groom, it blessed the groom to surprise her. So he wasn't just showing up at like 2 in the afternoon. Like oftentimes back then, they would try to go in the middle of the night for it to be a great big surprise. So the groom's walking through the forest. And coming, I'm assuming forest, I've never been to Israel, but he's walking through at nighttime. And as he's walking through, what happens, also during this time when they're apart, they're not so technically supposed to speak back then, but the, but the groom would send messages back and forth with their friends. So he hasn't told his bride he's coming, and he has friends that come with him. And they're blowing trumpets. They're blowing shofars, announcing that he's coming, 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 he's coming. And the bride has her attendants. Think of them as like her bridesmaids. She has friends that are there too, helping her be ready. And these people are supposed to be lining the forest, lining the path. So that way, as soon as they hear the trumpet, He's coming. He's on his way. Let's go get ready. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. We've got work to, let's go. It's time to go. And when he would come, he would gather all, he would gather his bride. He'd take her back to the house and they would get, they would physically consummate their relationship. Then they'd have a great big party. But if the bride's friends weren't ready, Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. There are ten friends that were intended to be at this wedding, that were intended to be there. While the groom delayed, they all rested and slept, talking about the ten virgins, her bridesmaids. But at midnight there was a cry, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise, the foolish that didn't bring enough oil, the other five brought enough oil to last them because they didn't know when he was coming. They had no clue. That would be like me saying, okay, Marky, George is coming over to the house. Come hang out with me until he gets there. I don't know when that is, though. Hope you have enough snacks to last you. If Marky brought like one box of Gushers, she's going to be in for like a rude awakening if George is gone for a year. Like it may last her a little bit, especially Marky. Like Marky loves her some Gushers. But if she only brought one box, she'd be hurting and she'd need to go to Walmart. Well, that's what these people did. They just brought a short supply. And when it was announced that he was coming, they're like, we don't have enough. Can you share what you have? And the wise one said, no, go get it from the people who sell it. We're going. Like, go get what you need. Come on. When they went to buy some, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Now, this is when they go to the party. At this party, everybody's ready. Everybody has, like, certain things to wear. It's, it's a great big celebration. Well, the five that were unwise eventually went and got ready, eventually got what they needed, somehow found their way to this man's house and show up and they're like, hey, we're here. Party time. What? What? Let's go. And the groom opens and he's like, I don't know you. I don't know you. And why would he? 
Why would he know them? The person he knew was the bride. He knew who he was coming back for, the bride. The people that went with the bride were her friends, was her family. They, it's not like they spent like some great big massive courting engagement all the time where he met everybody on her Facebook friend list. Like He knew who he was coming for. They, if they were part of her party, they were to go with them. Otherwise, he had no validation of who they were. They could have been Joe Schmo off the street that were beggars and just wanted food. He didn't know that they belonged to the bride. And really, did they? Were they prepared? Or had they just come super lazy about it? And he's like, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch. Get ready. The Lord's coming. And he's not asking us to sew together a say yes to the dress sort of situation. He's not asking us to like become like Project Runway and like all this other stuff. He's asking us to get ready ourselves. He's asking us to get ready. But so often what ends up happening is in the body of Christ, you get saved and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And you have this amazing transformation that happens. Old things are gone. New things happen. And things are wonderful, just like with any relationship. The first few months are like heaven on earth. And the sun shines out their butt. And everything is great. And nothing could ever be wrong. Their morning breath is perfect. Like, it's wonderful when you first fall in love. And then 18 months later, morning breath isn't quite tea cakes and roses anymore. And you know, if they could clean up after themselves, that'd be super. That's probably George's thoughts of me. He's a very clean one in our house. You know, it's reality sets in, distractions set in. And by reality, it's the world's reality. You know, all this distraction, all this crap that tries to get you off course and make you forget of that first moment, that first moment when you fell in love. That first moment. Because all the enemy has in his hands is deception and distraction. Deception and distraction. Deception and distraction. Because we can read in the word, you know, Jesus is coming. But I'll tell you, there have been so many times, really, up until probably the last six months, where I'd hear Jesus is coming, and my stomach would, like, turn into knots. It wasn't excitement. It was, I'm not ready to see him. I don't think I'm okay to see him yet. I, I don't know if I'm prepared. George and I haven't done what we believe that we're supposed to do yet. Like, if he came, would I, I, I feel like I'd disappoint him. Which is a lie. But so often, that's what happens, is you're not enough yet. You haven't done what you need to do. You know, I was in prayer. Y'all, if, if you haven't been to prayer at 6 a.m. or noon, and you have the ability to get here, get here. It has unlocked giftings. It has unlocked things in the spirit. It's phenomenal. And if you have the ability to get here, get here. But this one day, I was in prayer, during noon prayer, and I was praying, and I had this vision that I saw, and in it I thought of, ladies, if you are at your house and somebody calls you up and they're like, hey, I'm coming over, I'll see you in like 20 minutes, 
and you've had a day with your kids and it has been like Play-Doh day and painting and then also you decided for whatever reason you were gonna make cookies with them and kaboom, the flower exploded. And then, you know, the laundry's just not done yet. Your husband's working super late so he can't help. It's all up to you and your house looks disgusting. <laughs> Woo-hoo, 20 minutes, yes! That's nobody's thought. <laughs> being real like I have watched Pastor Nicole time and time again have her house be like kind of crazy and then she finds out hey we're gonna host a Nigerian minister for a month congratulations <laughs> or hey you have to host an entire Super Bowl party for a house full of people you haven't been home to clean Woohoo! it's <laughs> there's nobody I've seen do this better than Pastor Nicole Truly, because their lives are just totally different lives than anybody else that I've ever met. But if we allow ourselves to focus on house isn't done, things aren't clean, I have no food, I'm not ready to see them, they're going to come, they're, what are they going to think? They're going to think that I have just lost my marbles and that my kids must eat like rice poop for dinner because that's what my house looks like. If we focus on that, then when the guest gets there, what sort of time are we going to have with them? When the guest arrives, we're going to be so distracted. It's going to be like when Jesus showed up and Martha was out working and working and working. And Jesus, do you really know? You're not going to make Mary help me? You, don't you see all this stuff I have to do? And you're not going to get on Mary's like behind for not helping me right now? I told Marky the other day in the broadcast, I really appreciate that because it's the first instance I've seen in the Bible where Martha threw Mary right under the bus and hoping that Jesus was going to like reprimand her. You're not going to call her down? You're not going to spank her right now for not? No. But truthfully, if we're so focused on everything else and all the distractions that when the guest arrives, we're not excited to see him. We're not excited to spend time with him. We're focused on the junk and we miss the blessing that is that guest coming. But what happens if we've prepared ourselves ahead of time? What happens if we've prepared the house ahead of time? If we know this guest is coming? Just like I've seen Pastor Nicole get to walk that out in grace, I've also watched Pastor Nicole and what happens when she has forewarning that a guest is coming. You know how clean that house is? It is spick and span. You know, she has gift baskets waiting for them most often. She has food prepared. She has things laid out. And when they come in, not only do they come in and feel welcome, but she's at perfect rest because she had forewarning that they were coming. She's at perfect rest the other time too. But this one, it doesn't take as much out of her because she heard they're coming and she got ready. She didn't hear they're coming and then left it to the last 10 minutes before they get there and Abigail, help me clean. Rachel, get the bathrooms. Luke, get your room. Luke, come on, clean. Don't play with your Legos in your Spider-Man costume. Like, she doesn't do that. If she's got forewarning, she's on it. Church, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. How are we going to receive him? What are we going to do to prepare for him? What are we going to do? Pastor Brian says often that our number one ministry is ourself. So we can hear this and we can think, souls, I've got to do work. I have to be in the church all that much more. Those are valid. Don't not do those things. Like, do those things. If the Lord's coming, go win souls. Be in the church. 
But it starts with us. Before we can go out and be a Billy Graham and have a crusade, what work have we allowed to take place on the inside of ourselves? We're called to be a holy and chosen people. That's what we're called to do. But we're not a holy and chosen people if we act like a dog returning to its vomit. We are called out of darkness and into his glorious light. But so often, the deception that the enemy puts in front of us is, I have to step back into sin. It is too hard right now. I have to smoke that cigarette. I have to have a drink. You know, eating has been something that I have dealt with. I've got to eat because I am so sad. You know what? I'm so angry right now. I've got to blow up in front of everybody. I have to go punch something. I am so angry. Y'all, this has so been me. I've asked Pastor Nicole time and time again, can we build a silent room in the church where I can just hit things? Like a punching bag, not people. Like, don't get worried. It's like inanimate. But... You know, there's all this stuff, lying, gossiping, lusting, porn, all this junk that the enemy puts in front of your face and says, you can't do it, you can't do it, can't be a holy people, you can't live a sinless life, you've got to watch the porn, you've got to eat five cakes, you've got to go hit somebody, you've got to go speed down the highway, you've got to live in fear, you can't live without it, you've got to say that your kid's going to get sick because everybody gets sick. Why wouldn't you claim sickness over your kid? That's normal. That's like bull honky. That's not who we are. We are are a chosen people called to live differently. That's who we are. We are not part of the world system that gets caught up in the same lie after the same lie after the same lie after the same lie. We're a chosen people. And chosen people act differently. Chosen people act like chosen people. Think of a king. Would a king walk up in here with like holes all through his pants, acting like a pauper, and eating out of the trash can. No, that's stupid. He's a king. He can afford food. He can at the least afford a cow and slaughter it. Like, he may not have Burger King in his country, but I bet he can get food if he's a king. There's no reason for him to act that way. You are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. There is no reason for the body of Christ to be eating out of the spiritual trash can. There's no reason for it. The only reason we do it is because our flesh tells us it's easier and the enemy lies and the enemy and our flesh tag team and say we've got to do this. There's no other option or it's just too hard right now. You know, that has been one of the biggest deceptions that George and I have overcome and walked through in our marriage is making ourselves focus on ourselves. Believe it or not, y'all, I had some problems when we got married. It's the craziest thing. Um, I came into some marriage with some stuff, and it was so easy for my flesh to focus on what I was doing right, because I knew what those things were, and what he was doing wrong, because I knew those things too. And the things that I was doing wrong just super didn't seem to matter. Because my list is clear. No, like I had such a list of things that were wrong. Like I was talking to Marky the other day, like she was talking about having a conversation with Pastor Nicole. I'm like, 
Oh, sweetheart, have you ever gone into a meeting with Pastor Nicole and they're like, here are your four major areas in your life that have problems with them, fix them? Like, that was meant so many of my meetings. <laughs> But praise Jesus, because I needed them. I needed to be told, hey, your flesh is trying to keep you in sin. You're called to be a woman of God doing marvelous things for the kingdom. Step out of it. And today is a step out of it day for this body. You know why sickness has been attacking this body and sticking with us? We've let it. You know why our bank accounts haven't been where we wanted them to be? We've let them stay there. Because we've allowed ourselves to be bulldozed over by the enemy time and time and time and time and time and time again. Thinking that, you know what, Lord, in the sweet by and by, it's going to be wonderful. And I'm so excited for that day. No, it's now. That day is now. That day is now in this body. That day is now for this people. That day is now. The sweet by and by happened the moment you put your name on that contract. The moment you did, that became available to you, to us, now. Big surprise, haven't even touched my notes yet, y'all. But did you feel the air suck out of the room right there? That was, so <laughs> that was so fun. I felt like pastor. Oh, that was great. God has had mercy with you because George and I are going on vacation after this, so we're not hanging until three. I love y'all, but we're just, unless Holy Spirit says it. There are some awkward laughs because you still don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Amen. I heard Tyler say keep going, so y'all just buckle up. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jesus is coming for his bride. The reason that the enemy tries to distract is to take our eyes off the prize. You know, if you're running a race and you don't know what the prize is, how much of yourself are you going to put into that race? Not many people will give it their all unless they know what they're running for. And if we take our eyes off of the prize, oftentimes we'll allow ourselves to slip back into old habits. We won't push ourselves as hard. And here's the thing, you're, it's already done. The ability to step out of sin, to step out of old habits, you've been given the authority to do that. God has made it available for you through Jesus. But sometimes you need to push yourself a little bit more. You know, if you're at the gym and you're going for your personal best time, you're not just going to ease up on that last like half mile. You're going to give it all you've got to shatter that personal best time. Go to the gym with George. It's really fun when he puts the elliptical on like speed 20, which is the fastest it can do. And you're going for your personal best time. And George's like, whoo, I'm on speed 20 and I'm done in like 10 minutes. Great. <laughs> I'm on speed three and feeling just fine. That's great. <laughs> but when you're going for your goal, when you're reaching for the potential that you know is inside of you, you don't ease up. Pastor sent me a video back, oh my goodness, 2016, 2015. And it's this guy who, former Marine maybe, who talks about how we only use like 40%? Is it 40? Something like that. We'll say 40 to be a lot. We, at most, we only use 40% of our capacity, be it physically, be it mentally, be it emotionally. We only use 40% of what's available to us. There's more. Yeah. 
There's more that we have inside of us. There's more that we have available to us. But often we cap ourselves at 40%. I'm doing good. You know, I stopped drinking. I stopped watching inappropriate movies. I have not yelled at my parents in a while. Like, I'm doing pretty good. God's going to be okay if I keep listening to that stuff that he told me to stop listening to. Like, I've given him at least 80% of the stuff. You know what? I stopped cussing. I stopped cheating on my husband. I stopped gossiping. But I really like judging people in my mind. Mm, Look at their outfit today. Mm, Can you believe that they showed up to church that way? Mm, Can you believe that George acted that way to Greg? Can you believe him? Who does he think he is? So often we just... Check the box at okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing better. I'm doing better than most people. But the issue is your groom is coming back for a bride that he chose, and there's a commitment on her end that she needs to uphold. And it's not just a commitment of okay. The groom is not coming back for okay. You think about when your spouse and you have been apart for a while. Think about Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole. They're apart for like 27 days. Pastor Brian's thinking about coming home to Pastor Nicole. He knows that Pastor Nicole is going to be excited. He knows that she's going to have his favorite stuff prepared. He's so excited to see her. He's dreaming about it. He's thinking about it. He's praising God for it. He's picking her up gifts in Africa. I don't know what that would be, but like maybe she gets to have a fun African outfit that's purple. I don't know. But he comes back with all this stuff from Africa to bless her. He's so excited. He walks through the door, and the house is wonderful. It looks amazing. She has his favorite stuff cooked her his favorite stuff prepared. She's got cheesecake pie ready for him. She's got his favorite stuff. Hospitality team has done help deck out that place. Like things are ready. The kids are so excited to see him. And Pastor Nicole is asleep in the bed. Kids are there. Stuff looks great. Looks amazing. But she's not there. 90% is not going to be enough in that moment. It's not going to be enough that she did some stuff. And really, at the end of the day, she left her heart out of the equation. It's not, it's not enough. It's not okay. Church, we're at a place where Jesus is coming soon. You listen to the body of Christ as a whole. If you listen to other ministers, Teddy talked about it his last night here. He gave a word in West Virginia talking about the soon and, ret- soon and coming return of Jesus. You listen to other main ministries, and they're talking about it. Why? Because he's coming soon, and Jesus doesn't want to catch his bride off guard. He wants to have that trumpet sound help her to get ready. He's not telling her the exact moment, but he's saying it's coming. He's sending that message through his friends. Just like the groom would do when he's getting his father's house prepared, Jesus is sending messages through his prophets, through his pastors, through his evangelists, through his teachers, through all of the ministers in the body of Christ. He's giving people dreams. He's giving people visions. He's giving people words because he's coming back soon, and 90% is not enough. It's not enough. He's coming. He's coming for a bride worthy of him. And here's the thing. It's not whether we feel worthy. He already decided it. He decided it for us. He decided, you're worth me and I want to marry you. 
When you signed your name on that contract, when you made him your savior, you accepted his terms and conditions. You accepted them. The only way back in ancient biblical times that an engagement was broken was if they actually got divorced, like through the government system. It wasn't just, oh, no, I don't love you anymore. No, it's, it was a legal binding thing, the proposal. It was a done deal. The only thing that the groom was doing when he came back was to actually get his bride because they were already married. He's already decided that you're worth it. He's already decided that he's coming. He's already decided that the church is his bride and the love that he has. You think of that song that we sang earlier today, The Veil's Torn. We sang it today and I did all I could to keep from crying because the veil's torn and the door flings wide. And when we get back, when we're with him, I see glory as I run inside. That's not an apathetic person. That's not somebody who thought, well, should I stop sinning? That's somebody who's prepared. And as soon as it becomes available, they're running inside. There's no other option. They're running inside. Why have we allowed ourselves to have options with this stuff? If anything is keeping you from Jesus, is it worth it? Really, is it worth it? That little pet sin that you've allowed. And look, as I'm talking, the Lord's bringing stuff. I was talking to Mr. Bobby and Miss Candy yesterday about something that the Lord has talked to me about that I've considered to be a little thing. And it's not a little thing to God. If it's keeping him back from me, it's a huge thing to God. And I can't mess with it. I can't keep it there. So what did I do yesterday? I drew on knowledge that Miss Candy and Mr. Bobby had that I needed. Because it's time that the body of Christ stop being so prideful and focusing on ourselves and focusing on things, you know, I've got to seem like I have it together. Bump it. If you can't get over it on your own, you're in a family that's going to give you the knowledge and the empowerment and the strength and the prayers to go so that when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes back, you're not left. Just because you said a prayer one day does not mean that you are ready for the return of the Lord. It doesn't. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. Faith without works is dead. You can say Jesus is my Savior all day long. What are you doing? You can say I believe him. What does your life prove? You can say my husband and I serve the Lord. Do we? Do other people see it? Is it evident? One of the biggest blessings for myself and George is that Johnny and Holly and Paul and Jade made us the godparents of their kids. And they both did it and they came to us and said, we've seen your fruit and if something were to ever happen, we want you to watch our kids. Oh my goodness. Think of that level of trust. It's not us. We didn't do it on our own. It wasn't George's just tea cakes and roses and Barrett is wonderful. No, it's that we have striven to allow the Lord to flow through us. There is still plenty of room for improvement. I bet, you know, if I go and ask Pastor Nicole, she can give me another list. <laughs> I bet she can. I bet she could do it for each one of us. The same way that she could go to Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole could give her a list. And, you know, Pastor Brian could go to his pastors and they could give him a list. There's always something that we can improve, that we can work on. I have not arrived, but my heart 
is set, that I know he's coming. And if he's coming, I want him to find me and to decide I'm pleased with her. I'm pleased with this church. How do you want him to find you? Because he's coming. He's coming. And I have spent time in fear over the fact that he's coming. But those days are done. Because I've chosen to embrace the fact that I have not had everything all together, but I'm going to. And I'm going to get better. And I'm going to keep growing. And my pastors are going to love me, even though they've seen all of my flaws and all of my issues so many times. And as they've seen them all, I've been able to receive grace and empowerment to walk out a holier life. And as I've been able to do that, I've been able to help others. And that's how the body works. He's coming back for his bride. Are you a part of his bride? Really? Are you really, really a part of the bride of Christ? Or is Sunday service just a check the box sort of measure? Do you come in here acting holy on Sunday and then sit in that parking lot gossiping about so-and-so who came into the church and you didn't think that they acted right or talked correctly or did whatever? Are you gossiping? Are you backbiting? Do you leave this church and talk crap about pastors? Stop that. <laughs> Do you leave here and you dread coming back? Do you make excuses and not be a part of life group? Do you do what you want and, and not ask the Lord what he wants? Do you complain? Are you faithful for what he's placed in your hands? How are you at work? When you're at work, are you complaining about your job? Are you complaining about your bosses? Coworkers? And I'm not saying this to get on to you. I'm not. Because they're every single one of those things I can improve in. But I'm saying it because that's the reality. None of those things are things that people of Christ should be doing. And yet so easy, a temptation will come up and will fall into sin and we'll, it'll just repeat itself over and over. And look, just to validate, because I don't, I don't ever just want to say something without the word, Hebrews 10. Read, read Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, because that's, that's pretty fun. For if we willfully continue to sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, What's it say? There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's not Barrett. That's the word. Don't hit me. George is getting, you know, kind of feisty in his seat right now, so I don't know what sort of trip to Charleston I can expect in front of me. <laughs> it says, there's no longer remains a, a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. How much more... Hop down to verse 29. How much more severe a punishment do you suppose he deserves? He who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded the blood of the covenant that sanctified him to be a common thing and has insulted the spirit of grace. You know, I'm not talking about you accidentally do something and go back. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. 
people have a flesh, it is possible in your flesh to do something that you don't want to do. Paul said it. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. And if Paul had opportunity with his flesh, then we very well may as well. But this is saying, if you're just thinking, it's okay. God's grace is going to cover me. It's okay for me to not be all in with Jesus. It's okay for me to not be all in with him. The grace of God is going to cover the fact that I loved him eh, 70%, 60%, 10%. I, I, I prayed that prayer that one time with that weird Priscilla in Walmart, and she was very excited, but I don't know why, because I didn't feel anything. But I prayed it once, so I'm good. No, if you put your name on that marriage line, you put your name on that contract, you're his. You're supposed to be. And if he returns back for you, just like when the groom returned back, if the bride wasn't faithful, if the bride hasn't preserved herself, if she wasn't prepared, he had all the right in the word to annul the marriage, to decide that it was done. Now, Jesus is not that groom. He's not going to come back and be like, eh, I don't want you now. You didn't live right. But he's coming back for a type of person. He's coming back for a body that loves him. Revelation chapter 2 I think I'm, I'm getting close to being done. I don't know. Preachers typically have like three closings, so I don't know where I'm at right now. It's cool. But Revelation chapter 2, this is one of, the, one of the verses that pastor has preached on a ton. A ton, a ton, a ton. Because here's the thing. You can't just, uh, this is not a message empowering, like telling you to go do works. Works without intimacy mean nothing. If you don't have intimacy with the Lord, doing all this great stuff in your own strength and going out and I'm living perfectly, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help us. In order to be pleasing, the work that Jesus wants us to do is love him, is abide with him, is have fellowship with him. Because here's the thing. George, my husband, is a wonderful man. He is wonderful. He's anointed. He's called for those of you who don't know George, George also likes him some Legos. He is a big fan of sharks. He also super likes dinosaurs. Twizzlers are his favorite movie candy in the entire world and Reese's Pieces. He likes both of those. He'll come in with a, like a great big pack of Twizzlers and leave super excited. Um, he likes historical movies. Those are, those are things that he loves watching. Get so excited about stuff that blows up. If somebody's head blows off, he's pretty stoked about that too. Um, he never says no to a good biography about people or things that he's interested in. If you would like to know about the 2016 World Series moment when the Cubs won after 108 years of losing, come to our house and see our library of the Cubs books and memorabilia and all of the documentaries because boy howdy do we have them. If those pique your interest, my husband is the pal for you. You know how much about any of that Barrett, Diane, Quayley cared about? Not a bit. <laughs> Not even a little. Baseball was super boring to watch. I thought that sharks and dinosaurs you outgrew at some point. I'm learning you don't, but I thought that sometime it happened. I never played with Legos, but apparently they are a thing, like, and not just a thing, like, they're an expensive little hobby. So, I mean, you get the good kits, and you're, it's an investment. 
I didn't care at all about like biographies about all the presidents in our nation. I, whatever. Super sorry. But Barrett Nower, when she put her name on the contract line, Barrett Nower took an interest. Barrett Nower cares about the things that he cares about. I'm growing in this because there's still plenty of opportunities where my flesh is like, no, I don't want to watch Mission Impossible again. No, I don't. No, I don't want to watch the documentary with Vince Vaughn narrating the win of the 2016 Cubs over the Cleveland Indians, Paul. I don't want to watch that again. But I do. And I, here's the thing. I know all of that because I spend time with him, because I love him, because I want to be a pleasing wife to him. If he came home every day and I'm like, guys, George, guess what we're doing? We're watching Little House on the Prairie. It's going to be so good. Are you excited? Do you want to do facials? Oh, my God. George would leave. <laughs> George would, like, have a special room at Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole's house where he's like, fix her. And, you know, did for a while because I was that person when we first got married. Not Little House on the Prairie, though. I'd, I've never gotten into that. But... I have plenty of my own stuff that I just expected, oh, I appreciate your interest in my life. Thank you so much. It's great. Thanks. I don't care about your stuff, but thanks for caring about mine. And so often that's how we are with the Lord. Thanks for caring about me. Thank you so much for saving me. You're such a good Lord. And we don't take an interest in what pleases him. See, if we're not taking an interest in who he is, and then the things he's called us to do, we won't care about. There have been many seasons in our short-lived marriage. We are short-lived, like it's done. Our marriage that is only less than five years old at this point in time. Our marriage that's not yet a kindergartner. There have been many times where I have gone to Pastor Nicole and I'm like, help me. Jesus and Pastor Nicole, help me. Tell me what I can do for him. Tell me how I can be better. Tell me what would bless him. One of the most recent times, back last fall, I think, last fall, last summer, Pastor Nicole had given me a list, and it was a list of things that I could do, things that would bless him, things that would help bring connection. You know, we're in, different, we're in a different spot in our marriage than we were a couple years ago. I'm in ministry full-time. He's at his job full-time. It's a different schedule. Different responsibilities are being put on me. And so when that happens, things need to shift and change. It just does. If you don't change as your marriage grows, then your marriage is probably not going to evolve either. So she'd given me a list, and I started coming home each night. And I would try to do the things on the list. You know, George is very acts of service oriented. I'm just basically telling y'all how to be pals with Jesus and George today. If you want some more tips, I'll give them to you. But George is very acts of service oriented. So I'd come home and I would try to have supper prepared and I would, you know, have different cleaning things done and he'd walk in the door and I'm like, hey, did you have a good day? How are things going? Like, was your day good? That's great. And then it's dinner time. And then after dinner time, it was this time. And then George doesn't super like the phone after a certain period of time. So I'd put my phone up and we'd sit together and he likes to watch movies at the end of the day. So we'd watch a movie or a TV show or something and we'd be together and then we'd go to bed and then we'd wake up and we'd do it again. And after about a week-ish of this, 
we were sitting there one night, and George told me, he's like, I don't feel connected to you. What the snot do you mean? You don't feel connected to me. I have done acts of service out the wazoo for you. I don't even care about them all that much, and I'm doing them. You don't feel connected. What are you talking about? I was animated. If you guys can't tell, I'm not a quiet person, so I bet if you can imagine, it wasn't a quiet moment, but... I went to Pastor Nicole the next day, and I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand why this isn't working. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I've done the list that you gave me. I've done the tasks. I've done the chores. I've done the stuff. Why isn't it working? We can clean up sin. We can remove things from our lives. We can do what we need to do. But is Jesus feeling connected to us? Or are we just doing the list to do the list? You know, there's a faction of people who claim to be believers, and they are super works-oriented. The reason that George didn't feel connected to me is because my heart wasn't in it. I immediately, as soon as I got the list, I became, this will please him, 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 and didn't give him a bit of myself because I was so in my head of, I have to do this to please him. I have to do this to please him. I have to do this and this, and he got none of me. Because I was so focused on myself, performing in a way that I thought he would care about. And while the stuff was great, while removing sin is so important, if you don't have intimacy there, it profits you nothing. If your actions aren't empowered by a love for the Lord, it's going to profit nothing. Again, proving this in the word. I didn't forget Revelation 2. Sometimes Rachel will say that I just rabbit trail like nobody's business, but I brought it back around. I'm tying it to the word. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I heard someone being like, whoa, we're almost done. No. <laughs> Y'all, I'm still early on pastor time. Like, we could go for a while. <laughs> I love nervous laughter. It really is my favorite thing. You know what Marky's favorite thing is? Awkward silence. Especially when you maintain eye contact. <laughs> I'm good with awkward, like, I'm good with awkward moments. So if y'all can just sit there and I'll just look back and it'll be great. No, I only do that to Marky Eleanor. On purpose, anyway. Um, okay, so Revelation 2, verse 2. And Jesus is talking, red letters. I know your works. I know your labor. And I know your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles but are not. And you have found them to be liars. You've endured. You have been patient. And for my name's sake, you have labored and have not grown weary. Like, this is a phenomenal church. Like, there have been times in the ministry of Boomerang Church, Boomerang church International Incorporated where we've had opportunity to be weary. Where we have gotten weary. There, it's been, we've had the option. Sometimes we've taken it. Praise God, we've grown. But this is a great church. They're testing the spirits, you know. They're using their discernment. They're being patient. Patience is often an overflow of love and kindness. So they're being kind to others. They're being patient with others. They're enduring things. And yet this wonderful church, Jesus says, but I have something against you. But Jesus, I'm doing what you told me to do. 
Jesus, you gave me a list and I'm doing the list. Jesus, I've got it. I, like, you told me what I needed to do. Don't you see me enduring? Don't you see me being patient? Don't you see me not getting weary? Don't you see what good we've done for all of the other people? Don't you see our acts of service to you? But I have something against you. You have left your first love. Y'all, to please Jesus, to be the bride that he's coming back for, there's got to be a first love that wakes up on the inside of us. We've got to return to him the way that we did when we first knew him, the way that we were when we first accepted him. Think back. What were you like with your spouse when you first got with your spouse? I'm not talking yesterday when they irritated the snot out of you, or maybe they've irritated the snot out of you for a year, I, or five, or 20. I don't care. I'm not talking about that. How were you when you first met them? When you first heard, hey, girl, how are you? Ooh, you're so cute. Like, how are you back in those days? When your phone went off at 3 in the morning and George is calling me, he's calling me at 3 in the morning. And you wouldn't wake up, hey, how are you? Like, you'd wake up real quick. Hey, babe, how you doing? Are things good? That, like, that's real talk. George, when, <laughs> George was in the army and sometimes he couldn't call me until 3 in the morning, but I woke Y'all, there was one time George told me, I know, now we're just storytelling. There was one time that George, he was gone for two months at a time, um, every four months. And the first time, we hadn't exchanged I love yous yet. Like, we were still very early in dating. And George texted me saying, hey, I might be able to call you later. Like, it's probably going to be late, but I'll call you. I so badly did not want to miss this man's phone call. I stayed up all stinking night on a weeknight like not on a week at on a weeknight he did not call me <laughs> he got busy and could not text me saying I'm not calling go to bed so I just stayed up all night because I so badly wanted to talk to him and there was a part of my flesh that was irritated, you know, at 10 a.m. the next morning at Enterprise when people are, like, threatening me because I didn't have the type of car they wanted. But overall, I was just excited that he had wanted to call me. Pastor Nicole got so irritated, I'm sure, in her mind, hearing me talk about George. Barrett, find another hobby. <laughs> no, she, she loved it because she knew that that was love. I'm being sassy. She, but I'm sure I was irritating the people who didn't love Jesus as much. I don't care. Your, your boyfriend's great, Barrett. Super. But I talked about him all the time. Because I loved him. And there have been times in my marriage where I have not allowed that love to be there as much. But I've recognized it, and I'm working to grow in it. There have been times where when I first got saved, oh my goodness, I was so hungry for the word. I would carve time out of my day to read it. I would find, I would make time. I, I didn't understand prayer then because I grew up in a denomination that wasn't super prayer focused, but I was word hungry and I would just find time to read the word. I didn't even understand it. Like I, that, the, where I went to church was very KJV only and I didn't understand what I was reading. There thou, thou, like this is, I don't, but Jesus, you're in it somehow, help me. Like I didn't understand what I was reading, but I hungered to read it because it was supposed to connect me to him more. I wouldn't make excuses. 
The first church I ever really joined, I quit school to be a part of it. I'm not saying I did it right, but I quit my school. I quit my job. I moved in so that I was only around the corner from the church. I was in it when the church doors were open. I snuck in like at nighttime to clean the church by myself. Like I was hungry for Jesus. I was hungry to serve him. I was hungry. When I first got here and Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole gave me a key, I, I don't know what they thought was going to happen when they gave me a key. I lived in that building, y'all. Like, I don't know if Pastor Nicole and Pastor Brian realized how often I was in that building, but I was in that building a lot, like a lot. I read in the chairs. I read in my office. I read in the children's nursery. I'd go in and pray. I'd go in and sleep. Y'all, we've got some of the best napping couches in the world, like... But I would be there because I was so hungry for it. I'd clean when nobody knew I was cleaning. I'd serve when nobody saw me serving. I was so hungry to know Jesus. I spent every day, basically, with Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole. I basically lived at their house. I straight up did my laundry at their house because I didn't have a washer or dryer. But that's not Jesus as much as it was Barrett was lazy and didn't understand money back then. But I did my laundry at their house. I was with them all of the time because I was hungry to grow. And there have been times where I have stepped away from being with them as much. And this, this moment I realized I had stepped back. There's an intimacy that fuels us being the bride that we're called to be. But it's a choice. Marriage is intentional. Relationships are intentional. And if you're not intentional with your decisions, your marriage will explode. And it'll be crap. But the moment that you switch to being intentional, you're sowing good seeds. You're sowing things that will cause a life-giving marriage to thrive. As soon as you turn toward your groom who has gone to prepare a place for you in his father's house where there are many mansions, he's gone to build something that would please you. And as soon as the father looks at what Jesus has built and says, yes, that's pleasing to my body, that's pleasing to the bride, go get them, he's coming. And for us to be the bride that Jesus is coming back for, there's an intimacy that we are, have to get into and stop making excuses. We've got to stop making excuses with sin. Because sin, it's not just what's God going to like on the checklist. It separates us from God. It separates us from the groom. It separates us from the Father. It separates us from the Holy Spirit. Stop allowing ourselves to get separated from the God who's coming back and he's coming soon for a church who loves him and he loves her. Is that you? Is it? Really? Today is a decision day. It's a decision day. You can't hear something like this from someone that you may know well, you may not know well. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter if you've seen me mess up. That doesn't matter. I'm growing. And I've decided I will be his bride no matter the cost, no matter what it looks like. I'm his bride. I'm his and he will find me pleasing. But it's a decision that every person has to make on their own. It cannot be made for you. Just because your parents want you to do it doesn't mean that you're saved. Just, and I'm not talking saved. I'm talking all in with him. 
There's a difference between saying a prayer and then living for him with every fiber of your being. You can say a prayer and not mean the junk that's coming out of your mouth, but if you live for him, it's evidenced by others. Are you all in? Are you all in? Not part all in, not 80% all in, all in with every fiber of your being. Are you all in? If Jesus is coming back, is he going to see Doyle's all in for me? He's ready for me. He's, he hasn't made excuses. He's delighted with me. He's abided with me. I am so pleased with him. Is that going to be your story? Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's a decision that you have to make. And it's between you and Jesus. Maybe as I've been preaching, you've realized, you know, Barrett, I, I haven't been all in. I haven't. I've wanted to. I've heard Pastor talk about it. I've heard Pastor Cole talk about it. And I just, I haven't been. But I want to. Man, do I want to then I have great news for you. In 2 Peter, and just listen. In, second, in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, you're that chosen race. That's who you are. You're the chosen race. But in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Jesus' divine power has given to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So that through these things, you may become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world. Through the power that Jesus has given to us, the power will make you escape corruption. The power is there for you to escape any evil thing. But for us to access that power, we've got to be all in with him, not play around with it. As your heads are bowed, eyes are closed, is there anybody who has decided today is an all-in day for me? Just raise your hand. Amen. 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 See that. I see that. Amen. Praise God. Okay, you can put your hands down. There's more. And here's the thing. I need to decide this daily. Just because I've decided it once doesn't mean that I'm done deciding it. William, you can go ahead and put something light. You can put to worship you at live on. This needs to be a decision that we make. While William puts this music on. The altar's yours. You need to pull the gain back a little bit. The, wall, all, the altar is yours. Use it. Make it real. Don't just make this a moment where you sit in your seat. We'll pray together, but truly, if that is your heart, Come to the altar.
If you want prayer to be agreed with you, like somebody to agree with you for strength, I'll pray with you, but this is a moment between you and Jesus. All together with our heads bowed. Let's seal what the Lord's done today. Father, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for choosing us. Let that sink in for a second. He chose you. It could have been anyone, but it was you. It was you. Jesus, today you are my Lord, not just in word, but in every area of my life. I give you me, not in part, but in full. Not 90%, not even 99%, but 100% of me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that God has raised you up. And in you, I'm raised up too. Jesus, thank you for preparing a place for me in, in our Father's house. You're coming soon. And I commit to you to be the bride you've hoped and believed I can be. Today's a new day, and I leave here higher. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want prayer for strength to be who you're called to be, if you want prayer for that, please do come up. I'm happy to pray with you. I don't want to miss that. If you want the altar to just pray at the altar, the altar is yours. <laughs>